everyone, I'm Jamie DiPolo, Senior Editor at BreastCancer.org. Our podcast guest today is Dr. Marie Savard. She's a doctor, educator, and former ABC News medical contributor. She's the founder of the Savard System for Managing and Controlling Your Health Care. Dr. Savard is also the author of five books focusing on women's health and wellness. A native of Philadelphia, she received a bachelor's degree in nursing and a medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania. She formerly served as the director of the Center for Women's Health at the Medical College of Pennsylvania, technical advisor to the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women in Beijing, advisor to the American Board of Internal Medicine Subcommittee on Clinical Competency in Women's Health, health columnist for Women's Day Magazine, and senior medical consultant to Lifetime Television's Strong Medicine. Today, she joins us to talk about body fat, weight, and weight loss. Dr. Savard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So our audience, um, many of the women obviously have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Many of them are postmenopausal either naturally or through treatment. And many of these women say they've gained weight after menopause. So can you talk a little bit about the processes in the body that can cause that? Because it seems to be a... It, it's a it's a troubling problem for a lot of women. It is true. Most women do gain weight after menopause, but the truth is it's actually not menopause itself that's causing the weight gain. It's the changes in our lifestyle and it's kind of part of the aging process. If you think about it, what menopause does is actually shift our body shape. And that's the important thing to focus on. What is happening to the body at menopause? So as our estrogen level naturally goes down as our ovaries age or as a result of chemotherapy our estrogen levels may also go down and as a result of the treatment for breast cancer and when you lower that estrogen level the body naturally goes from storing fat in the lower half the sort of butt hips and thighs the kind of classic pear shape and suddenly you start storing extra fat in your above the waist in your upper body in your abdomen in your shoulders, maybe in your neck. And as that weight shifts, the sort of shape of your body shifts. And I think that's what's most troubling to women. They suddenly have a, a large waistline when they didn't have that before. So really the focus I, I talk to women about is recognize, be prepared, your body shape will change. That's not something you can necessarily do anything about, but maybe even laugh about it. I, I kind of think that the most important thing in life and even in medicine is to kind of have a positive can-do attitude. This is what you expect. But on the other hand, there are lots of things you can do for that slow, gradual, subtle um, weight gain that occurs really related to a change in your lifestyle. Can you talk a little bit too, what, what exactly is the process? Like why does the drop in estrogen make the fat move up? Yeah, so most women tend to naturally, and, and one of my earlier books, Apples and Pears, was written about the use of your body shape to predict or forecast your health future. So we know that, that a lot of women are naturally pear-shaped. So that means they store all their fat below their waist in their butt, hips, and thighs. But there are some women, even before menopause, who will naturally, as a virtue of their genetic profile, for example, or their ethnic background, will naturally store fat more around the waist and, and upper body. And the differences in where you store your fat is everything. So lower body fat is kind of inactive fat. Um, 
It's fat that really doesn't have much of a metabolism. Once you store it, it's hard to get rid of. And estrogen seems to be the trigger to store fat, preferably in that lower body. On the other hand, fat that's stored in the middle, the fat that we all will develop as we age and go through menopause, that visceral fat, and that's the word for organ fat or, or fat around the waist, that visceral or belly fat is very active metabolically. That kind of means that the, it is producing enzymes and inflammation um, factors and hormones and proteins which lead to actually a higher level of inflammation and we all know inflammation is now the source of many chronic diseases, everything from diabetes to heart disease to even cancers, um, including breast cancer. So that, that fat that is stored in our middle is producing these enzymes, is very active, and is this kind of source in the sort of risk, increasing our risk for even things like breast cancer and certainly heart disease and everything else. So again, I think knowing the role of body shape is one thing, understanding it is another, but I try to give people some sense of encouragement. There are lots of things we can do to change you know, not exactly turn back the clock, but we can start changing our lifestyle early on to kind of address some of the factors. And, and that's what I love to inspire people about is what they can do. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about that because as you said, being overweight is a risk for breast cancer. Uh, also the location of the fat makes a difference and can increase the risk. So are there lifestyle changes, diet changes that a woman could do even before menopause, thinking about like, okay, this is gonna happen. It's pretty much inevitable if you're a woman. Um, are there things she can do before menopause to kind of lessen the weight, weight gain? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would argue if you are younger and you're listening to this podcast, think of the things, just imagine that if you can avoid adding on any extra fat cells before you go through menopause, you will be doing a lot to sort of advance or improve the, the likelihood of you doing well beyond um, menopause. The women who gain weight before menopause really do have an increased risk of breast cancer later on in life because again, that upper body fat is what will produce the inflammation and the estrogen hormones, etc. So how do you avoid, how do you really, how do any of us avoid weight gain at any time, but especially um, before menopause? I would always say, just think of it this way, exercise when it comes to weight loss and health is king and diet is queen. And we can talk a little bit more about that. And I've added to that because the role of sleep is so incredibly important that sleep becomes prince or princess, you know, princess depending on who you are. It's those three together are, are amazingly important. So talking about exercise first, what happens as we age? we become less active. Our kids are grown, we're not picking them up, we're not schlepping things up and down the stairs to the same degree. We're not naturally quite as physically active as we might think we are. And I know many of you are thinking, well, I already go to the gym and I'm still gaining weight. Think about how active you are during the day at other times. Are you sitting behind a desk, sitting at a computer all day? We now know that the activity level um, that we have on a kind of continuous basis is more important than just signing up to go to a gym. So just being aware of being active is, is so important. And I, so I think I, I would start first with the role of, of increasing exercise. And, and it's not just aerobic exercise that's important. It's sort of a combination 
of aerobic, that sort of heart strengthening, getting your heart rate up exercise, being active, with the type of exercise that has to do with weight, using weights, resistance exercise, gaining muscle mass. Because another thing, you know, which I really didn't talk about, but it's so important, is the role of our muscles. When we're young, and actually men have an advantage to women in this, in this case, um, and we'll talk about men for a second, men make testosterone, the male hormone, that really fuels muscle mass. So they naturally have greater muscle mass than women. And muscle, as opposed to fat, is, is a metabolic engine. It sort of fuels calories and, and quickly helps us um, burn excess calories. So men have a much easier time at it when it comes to sort of losing weight and avoiding weight gain in the first place. But what we can do as women, instead of as we age, what muscle mass we have gradually will dwindle, we can counteract that. We can do so much to build muscle mass. So another way to think about you know, preventing weight gain is to just simply increase your muscle mass because that alone will do so much to help um, reduce the uh, effect of any added calories we might have in our diet. When it comes to diet, we all want to think there's one diet that's going to suit just our needs. It's going to be perfect. And the truth is, there's, one, there's no one diet that's going to fit everyone. And there's no one diet that necessarily is even going to work for you. The truth is, you have to come up with what's important to you. And I think thinking about eating healthy and eating for health will gradually help you lose weight more than what's the specific diet that you're on. You know, one more diet book, uh, you know, it, it may work for a while, but studies have shown whatever it is that you stick to, you you, unless you change your life, and that refers to all the other things that are so important, whether it's sleep, adding exercise, just stress management, unless you change those factors, how, how we eat um, and keeping off weight is just, it's just not going to work. And I think we, we really need to focus on, on our health rather than specific numbers of what's on the scale. And I think we need to figure out what are things that we can do that can, we can control more than what are these gimmicks. And if there's any message that I feel about the research that's coming out now, and there's a lot of research on different types of diets, is to the sort of knowing generally about the Mediterranean diet, the sort of sticking to fruit, vegetables, um, healthy plant-based food primarily, healthy fats, limiting the amount of animal products is, is a general rule of thumb, and we certainly know that's, that all promotes health. And I think the other thing is the idea of the fasting. Everybody's curious about this in these fasting diets, and what's the science behind that? Generally, what I would say is, if our bodies were meant, if you think about how we evolved, they were meant to have prolonged periods of not eating. And if you want a, a sort of shortcut to every day having a period of not eating, um, think about from sundown at night to sun up in the morning, try not to eat during that period of time. If you just give your body a, maybe a 12-hour fasting period, you allow those insulin levels to go down, you allow all the good sort of fat burning to occur during that time, and you kind of are really doing a lot to sort of accelerate that, that lifelong sort of weight loss that you want to think about. So eat well, eat 12 hours during a day, sort of sun up to sun down, and then fast from there out. And I think pretty much you will address 
all the new research, all the fancy studies that you might read about, all the fancy diets that you might go on. You can just think about those common sense rules and I think that'll, do, that'll go a long way to sort of helping you manage that perimenopausal weight loss, not alone, the, you know, not to mention the weight losses as we get even well through menopause and beyond. I would love to talk to you a lot more about my thoughts on eating and diet, but that's number two. And then, you know, let's not forget sleep. Getting that seven to eight hours of sleep, we now know will lessen the changes in our body shape as we get older, will make insulin work better, will absolutely make it easier for us to lose weight. So it's, it's critical. Okay, and I just want to clarify, just in case any listeners are confused, when you talk about aerobic exercise, we're talking about things like running, walking, dancing, anything that gets the heart rate up and you're kind of moving but not necessarily carrying weight, although lifting weights can get your heart rate up as well, correct? Good point. So let's make the distinction. So what is recommended is sort of two forms of exercise for all of us. Pretty much all the guidelines will say we need a minimum of 30 minutes, maybe up to five times a week of heart racing exercise, whether that's walking quickly, um, getting on an elliptical trainer, which is something I like to do, getting on a treadmill, which with bad feet as I've gotten older, I'm less excited about, Whatever it is that gets our heart rate going by us doing large, you know, areas of exercise, rowing, getting on a rowing bike, getting on a bike, um, that is the aerobic exercise. Anything that increases burning that oxygen by breathing fast, getting your heart rate up, and doing it, you know, a lot, maybe as much as five days a week for 30 minutes. I will talk in a minute about the more high intensity, shorter burst exercise, because that's pretty interesting research too, but generally speaking, just being as active as possible is the aerobic exercise. The other component is the resistance exercise that I mentioned, and that is really the weight lifting, the weight training, carrying things, anything that will not, um, it may or may, got, may not get your heart rate up, but it's something that's actually strengthening muscles and building muscles. You don't need to do that every day, because if anything, it's your muscles will fatigue and, and talk to you and you will have a hard time doing it every day. The recommendation is maybe as much as two to three times a week doing a series of exercises focusing on your large muscle groups and that means everything from push-ups if, if you can, I have to do the sort of cheating version but it, it works, um, to squats. There's so many great programs online that you can find but it's finding something that works for you. Every one of us is different. We bring to the table so many different choices about how we want to work out, how we want to you know, live our lives, but it really is important that we think about the role of exercise in avoiding that unnecessary weight gain. It's not going to change your body. You can't shift your shape of your body by doing exercise, but you sure can shift your health by doing that exercise a lot. Okay, and just in case anyone who's listening is concerned, um, there are concerns uh, among some women who've had breast cancer surgery about lifting things, um, making lymphedema worse or bringing on a lymphedema episode. But there are things you can do. As you said, squatting. Somebody could just do a squat, like stand to, uh, from a low chair and get up and down and you're still working all those muscles. And you can do like just if, light weights, like soup cans. 
sitting in a chair to, to isolate some muscles. So, you know, I don't want anyone to be concerned that you're going to hurt yourself. Definitely somebody should talk to a trainer if they're concerned, but there, there are resistance exercises that everyone can do. You know, you raise a really good point. So for any, if, if you're worried about your upper body for any reason, and, and certainly lymphedema and having had surgery before, there's so many reasons why even arthritis as we get older in our hands, and that's actually something I have, have experienced. Um, upper body exercise for strengthening and lifting may not be so easy. And if you think about it, it's much less necessary than the lower body. Our large muscle groups are in our lo the lower half of our body. So our, our, our butt, our gluteus muscles, our hips, um, our, our quads, um, in, in the back, our hamstrings. Those large muscle groups are the muscle groups that will be the greatest we want to fuel to be the greatest metabolic engine to burn calories, but they're also what's going to keep our balance, our gait, our walking. It's really going to keep us strong and prevent us as we get older from, from being frail and worrying about trips and falls. So if I had to say to a woman, and I hadn't thought of this to your question, if you had a choice what type of, of weight lifting exercises to do for aging, and I, I'm really passionate about preventing frailty as, as people get older, it's the lower body exercises that are by far most important. So I think for your audience, for anybody worried about upper body, you're not going to lose by not doing a lot of upper body exercises. If you're active, you move your arms, you lift, you're bringing in groceries, that may be enough to sort of just keep conditioning up. But it's certainly, walking around is just not enough to strengthen those, those lower muscles and to keep your um, body toned and sort of burn those calories. I think it's the lower body that's critical. And fortunately, I think pretty much everybody can do that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. It reminds me of a quote there uh, from some Olympic bobsledders because they were always talking about their glutes were their power pack. And oh, yeah. I, I think that's kind of what you're talking about as well. So yeah. yeah. Okay, so what are the top four things you would recommend to a woman who's postmenopausal who wants to lose weight. And I guess it doesn't have to be postmenopausal, but if there would be differences, say between a woman who's premenopausal and one who's postmenopausal, what would you what would your tips be for either? All right, I try to keep it really simple. I have four Fs, um, F as in my um, husband's last name, Fenton, that I talk about. And the first is what type of food you eat, and we're gonna get into that, is food. Um, Second is fiber, we're gonna talk about fiber, Fat, um, fats, and fitness. What are all those things that are important? So the first is the type of food that we eat, and I follow Michael Pollan, who I think many of you may have heard about, but he is a journalist who's written about food, and he has said, and it's been repeated so many times, eat real food, mostly plants, and not too much. So what does that mean? Real food means eating unprocessed food, not eating foods in packages and long you know, ingredients, etc. So eating real food, natural food, um, eating mostly plants. In eating mostly plants, you're getting fiber, and fiber is so critical um, because it has all those phytonutrients and other things that are going to reduce our future risk of, of a second cancer or reduce our risk of heart disease, helps our, our colon function, our bowel function, Fiber does so much and it's filling. It really helps people um, as they get older, as they eat. And if you need to eat dessert, eat that fiber food first. 
then followed by dessert because it lowers. If you have a lot of fiber in your diet, a lot of plant-based foods, and then you follow it with some sugar, some, some dessert, you will lessen the sugar effect. You'll lessen that insulin surge that occurs as a result. So I think it's really, again, important to think about why it is that we need to eat mostly plant-based foods. Um, I, I talk about fluids a little bit because fluids are important as to what you should avoid generally. You should generally avoid too much alcohol um, as we get older. Obviously, we know alcohol too much plays a role in breast cancer and other cancers. And yes, it is true that a little bit is good. A little bit protects our heart, but a lot does not. So we have to be really careful about alcohol. And I think that's something that older people tend to rely on a lot more. It's sort of a hidden epidemic in, in sometimes for older women, and, and that's something to think about. And then the other fluids, diet, soda. I used to, when I was on... Um, ABC, you know, Good Morning America primarily talk about diet soda all the time and the role of diet soda in increasing our waist size, increasing the risk of developing some of these um, metabolic diseases like diabetes, etc. And it may not make sense, but it does. Um, so we have to be careful about the diet sodas that we drink. And then finally, fitness. What does fitness mean? Fitness first means fitness of sleep, making sure you get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Fitness of mind-body, sort of the mind in terms of meditation and stress reduction. Lowering stress lowers waist size and does so much um, to help handle the extra calories that we consume or help us manage our, our diets better. And fitness also means sex. Um, it was my father-in-law that when he first heard my presentation about fitness, he'd said to me, I didn't include the most important thing that older women care about. And that's what, uh, he kind of had a twinkle in his eye, what happens in the bedroom? And I said, oh. And he was talking about an F word for that. And of course, we're on a podcast. I would never say what is that F word around sex. But we all know what that is. That sex actually plays such an important role. And, and it, ha it takes different it takes different forms as we get older. And we can be very creative, but it's really important in terms of our ensuring sleep and ensuring our peace of mind, peace of body, and helping um, with our weight. And at the bottom, bottom line is if we feel good about our body, we feel good about who we are, even if we can't fully control our weight, we can control how we feel about ourselves, that makes sex so much more enjoyable. And again, as my father-in-law said, it's a, a good part of life and, and getting older, something else to think about. So the four F's, food and fiber, fat, I didn't really mention, but healthy fats are important. Unhealthy fats, we all know what they are. Butter, animal products, etc., are not. And then the fluids to drink and, and to avoid and the fitness of all aspects of our life are the way to go. And I guess that fifth F word, which we won't say on the air. That's it. <laughs> Excellent. Dr. Savard, thank you so much. I really appreciate your insights. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me.